Hi, this is Howard Jacobson, and I'm delighted to be joined on the phone today by Tamison Noyes. Tammy, hello, how are you? I'm great, Howard. Thanks. How are you? Great. We've been, we've been scheduling this for a really long time, so I'm finally, I'm excited to be getting it in. It's, and for me, it's just under the wire in terms of seasonal relevance. Cause Tammy is the author of a new cookbook, more than a cookbook, but it's a cookbook called Grills Gone Vegan. And the cover has, the bottom has all these beautiful flames, and then the top is showing a whole bunch of plant-based things that you can do on the grill. So soon I would love to uh, to get into grilling and, and why that was such an attraction for you and some of the your, your tips and tricks and ideas. But first, uh, I'd like to start by asking people, how, how did you stumble upon this crazy way of life of eating plants? <laughs> Well, it all started back in 1980 when I was writing a college paper, and I actually got into the Diet for a Small Planet. That was my first dipping my toe in the water, and from there I just kept exploring. And we were vegetarian and often ate vegan, but we're not committed vegans until 2004. And that's when the light bulb went on. Why are we still eating these things? There's no benefit to the animals, no benefit to us, no benefit to the environment, and it clicked. I see. So for for roughly 24 years after you'd read, so it was Diet for a New America. What was it called? Diet for a Small Planet. For, for a Small Planet. That was uh, Francis, Francis Moore, Moore Lappy. Uh-huh. And what, was, and it, what was it about that book that turned you on in college? Well, the main intent of the book was to explain how more people would survive by eating a plant-based diet as opposed to eating meat, that the cows served as a processing environment more than anything else, it took far more grain to feed a cow to get one pound of beef than if people were eating that same grain. So the grain would go a lot further in feeding the masses if it didn't go through the cow first. Mm. So that that got you to a point of uh, sort of efficiencies, like this, eating this is, is better than that, so you sort of tend, at that point, tended towards more plants than, than animals. Right. At that point, we went vegetarian overnight and never looked back it took us a little bit longer to understand the not to understand but to emotionally make the connection with the chicken and dairy industry i mean the egg and dairy industry i see so so um so in 1980 you 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 stopped eating meat but you were still doing derivative products dairy and dairy and eggs at at times it wasn't a regular thing but i wouldn't say we were committed and never had them until 2004 Gotcha. So did, when, you, when you made that first change, did you notice anything different about your life? Um, just I felt better. I felt a little bit clearer and cleaner than I had before. We were young, though, so it, you don't really, or I didn't really notice that kind of stuff as much. I just knew that I felt better. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then so then fast forward to 2004, where for you the penny dropped about animal products in general. Um, Were you part of sort of vegetarian communities at that point, where the message was now being hammered home a little bit that that eggs and dairy are are essentially contributing to the same issues? No, it was really just more of an epiphany and actually extending the relationship in the right ways. We always knew the the fact behind the matter that we didn't really make the emotional connection until then. I think we were actually kind of naive about where eggs came from and that kind of thing. Hmm. So we weren't part of a community because we're very isolated. We live in a rural town in Ohio. 
and thanks, thanks to the internet, we're far less likely than we used to be. It's done so, just done wonders for veganism. But no, we weren't a part of the community at the time. Gotcha. Okay, so then t- 2004, you're no longer a college student. You know, you, you're, right. your biology is maybe not so forgiving. Do you notice any changes when you eliminated uh, eggs and dairy? Yes. I used to get migraine headaches. They disappeared immediately as soon as we got rid of the dairy and eggs. That was a big thing for me. Plus, we just felt so much better. We actually think that we felt profoundly better after dropping the dairy and eggs than we did just from dropping the meat. The meat we didn't notice as much, but the mm. dairy and eggs were night and day. Right. I've, I've had that experience, too, and I've heard a lot from a lot of people about dairy that there's there's something about eating meat that, that is compatible with, you know, the human architecture. <laughs> like, hmm. you know, in humans eat meat. And it's, you know, a lot of animals eat meat, but we're the only animal to eat, to drink the, the you know, the, the baby food of another animal. The, the right. dairy is somehow profoundly unnatural in a way that, that meat eating isn't, maybe? I, I could see that. Um, so, okay, so your your migraines disappeared. You're, you're saying we, so there's, there's someone my else husband, in your life, your husband. My husband's been along with the journey since 1980 with me. We met in college, and... We're celebrating 30 years of marriage this year. Well, congratulations. Thank you. So, so, um, so are you guys kind of in sync, or is one of you, did you take turns taking the lead, or is one of you sort of uh, the, the cheerleader and the other one follows along? How does that work? Dietarily, I've always been the leader in that, but in life circumstances, we take turns. And uh-huh. We help each other grow in leaps and bounds, just take turns leapfrogging each other. Great. So, so I have to ask this. So it's um, a personal question on, for my part. Is you know I'm always doing research and mm-hmm. I'm always listening to new things. And so wh- one of one of the things that my family complains about is that I lurch. <laughs> like <laughs> you know, I'll get the Vitamix and I'll all be in like green smoothies, and then I'll hear Dr. Esselstyn and other people say that smoothies aren't so great. And so then I'll put away the Vitamix and I'll start making, you know, steel cut oats. And then I read something else about, <laughs> about gluten. And so then we're, then we're having like quinoa for breakfast and, <laughs> and I'm doing it all from a good place, but right. you know, they find it annoying. It was how, what, uh, what's, what's it like, what's it been like for you to take the lead in your family? Uh, do you get that kind of blowback or are people excited to, to experience what you're, what you're onto now? I think in general, Jim understands that I go through phases, and he's just along for the ride. He'll take it as it comes, and I, I only cook for my husband and, of course, friends, you know, that kind of thing, but only family member that's close. And so he doesn't give me much blowback, but we'll go through periods. For example, when I was writing the sandwich book, we'd have sandwiches morning, noon, and night. <laughs> and he was fine with that, and we just finished. He loves sandwiches, so he was okay with that. We just finished a finger foods book that's going to be coming out next year. He'd come home for work from work at lunchtime, and we'd have six appetizers. Ugh. And he would just go with it. And as far as the food groups and that kind of thing, I go through spritz. Right now I'm trying to learn a lot more about yogurt and cheeses, vegan cheeses and yogurt. So he doesn't particularly like yogurt, but and he won't be eating it unless I put in Indian food or in baking or something like that. But he just understands that I go through these stretches where I have to explore more deeply, and then I'll move on. 
Mm, gotcha. Well, and and you are a an accomplished cook and a cookbook author, which rem- rem- reminds me of a of a sign that was above uh, one of the stalls at the farmers market where where I used to live. It says, "Don't don't cuss the farmer with your mouth full." <laughs> So, <laughs> well said. So I guess well if, said. If you're the chef and you're uh, you're making you know am- amazing gourmet meals, <laughs> testing them out, I guess uh, you you get to say what people eat. That's right. That's right. So, so when did when did you decide that you wanted to contribute um, techniques and recipes and books to uh, to the world? Actually, I was. A cookbook tester for several different authors, such as Issa Moskowitz and Robin Robertson and others. At the time I was testing for Robin Robertson, her husband was starting a publishing company, Vegan Heritage Press. She really liked me as a tester, and he approached me about doing a book. I'd thought about doing a book, but I kind of had a five-year plan. I didn't expect to jump into it right away. But since he was ready to do it and made the offer, I jumped at it and took it. And from there, it's just kept going. The balls kept rolling, and I'm very, very fortunate. Huh. So, did you? What was your What was your original idea for your for your book? It was American Vegan Kitchen. It was a casual bistro, diner style book. Okay. And so, did you? Did you? Were you always like good at cooking? And you know, like, did people just say, "Oh, this is delicious. You should, you know, write a cookbook." How How did you get it in your head? Like, you know, because. <laughs> Most of us in this world, there there are like cookbooks that are kind of iconic. And for me, I just felt like, well, these these are the people who make cookbooks. Like I couldn't see myself making that leap into right. like like who am right. I to to come up with I, a, with a new taco recipe or something? But I'm so, with so, you on that front. I still can't believe that I have any books out. <laughs> it shocks me when I go into a bookstore and see them on the shelf. I just I can't believe it. none of that feels real. As far as being a cook, I've always cooked, but like many people, I'd have, say, you know, two dozen dishes in my repertoire, and that's pretty much what I would make in rotation until we, I guess, except with the exception of the vegan recipes, even prior to 2004, what I'd get more experimental with those. So a few times a week, we'd eat more exotically, you know, more excitingly than we would normally eat. But otherwise, I'd have the standard dishes, which I think a lot of people do, and that's a a good way to try to transition away from meat eating or even being vegetarian into veganism is try to add one new dish a week and eventually you'll have a whole new repertoire of two dozen vegan dishes as opposed to the two dozen either meat-based or vegetarian dishes that you Mm. normally eat. So you'll have just more to draw from. Mm. So when you were cooking out of other people's cookbooks, were you always thinking, gee, I wonder what would happen if I made this Moroccan instead of Italian or if I... I always would tinker. Uh-huh. I, I could not follow a recipe straight to save my life. So maybe maybe that's the cookbook gene. Because really, really there's, very, there's very few, like, completely revolutionary innovations in recipes. Right, right. It just doesn't happen anymore. It's more about the palate and what tastes good, but we're not breaking much new ground. Miyoko Shinner's book broke new ground, I think, with the vegan cheeses. Yes. I, I interviewed her a couple of months ago. I told her she should get, they should have a, some sort of food Nobel Prize. I agree with you. I totally agree with you. But for the most part, it's a lot like music. We just keep putting the notes together in different ways, but the notes are already out there. But she, like, she's one of the exceptions to me. Right. 
So, so before we get to the actual uh, cookbook and recipes, I, I was I was going through it, and one of the things that happens to me sometimes when 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 people send me their their vegan cookbooks is mm-hmm. I look through them and I think, oh, five years ago I would have made all these, but I've upgraded the, my health requirements to the point where right. this, you know. So, and I'm looking through this, and you know, these are. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't do gluten, so there's, mm-hmm. there's several things that I wouldn't, I wouldn't make, but there was nothing in here that I looked at and felt, oh, this is, this is junk food. Um, and I know, you know, a lot of vegans are very sensitive to, to that because they figure, you know, eating anything that's not animal is preferable to, right. to, bur- to Burger King. And yet, when I come at it from a place of, of health and, you know, my internal environment is as an important environment to me as anything. Um, and I'm noticing that yours are largely what I would call whole food plant-based. And I'm wondering, how did, how did that uh, come about? Was that a gradual um, evolution for you? Or were you always interested in sort of the, the, the healthy side of the, the plant-based world? I'd say it's probably more gradual in that I developed more confidence in moving away from the necessarily the tofu tempeh seitan recipes that were my core. Mm-hmm. So I think it was just having more confidence in my cooking and being more ready to explore, really. And because to me, cooking is a learning process. Every day when I stand behind the stove, I'm learning something new. And I just like to keep growing and expanding on that, which for me went in the direction of more plant-based because it wasn't where I was coming from. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, so so I have. I'd love to start talking about the book. Um, first of all, I'm curious about the title, and w- whether it was a, a conscious pun on like the you know girls gone wild. It, it absolutely was. So tell me and about tell was, me about that. What, what what was that decision? You know, the the name just came to me, and I thought, boy, that that's it. It's that easy. <laughs> and I actually pitched the book to a book publishing company. And they liked the title, too. That was where it really took off right there. They said, yeah, tell us more. This is interesting. So they thought it was a a marketable, which obviously they've got to think about their business, but a marketable title for them as well. And I would credit them for a lot of the uh, drive towards health-based recipes in here, too, because they were doing the nutritional analysis of the recipes. So it made me more aware of the sodium and the oil content and all that than I normally would be on my own. So that was a big help to the book, I think. Hmm. Okay. So, because when I when I saw the title, I immediately started thinking about like you know gender politics. Oh. Um, <laughs> and well, and then you know what came up for me is like a lady is writing a book about grilling, which is already a little right. a little bit of something unexpected. Like you know, grilling is sort of the quintessential he man activity. It's you know, right. when you think about man food, you think about some some guy exactly. and a big flame and a big ha- slab of meat. First of all, right. how, how did you come to get take such an interest in grilling? Oh gee, that's a good question. I think it just felt like a new frontier to me that most vegans were cautious about grilling. They would approach it with trepidation. They'd grill their, you know, frozen veggie burgers, that kind of thing, when there was so much more out there, so many more options. And so I just started exploring it and putting it together and trying different recipes, and before I knew it, it was a cookbook. Mm. So were you always into, like, the grill? Uh, Not until probably about 
well, probably in 2004, because prior to that, we had horrible neighbors. We didn't want to be outside. We would hear them swearing and yelling at their kids all the time. Oh, dear. So we wanted nothing to do with being outdoors in our backyard. Then we moved up here in where we live now in Ashtabula County, and it made all the difference because now we can enjoy our backyard. But the cool thing about the book is that the recipes can also be done indoors year-round. For all the recipes, I've given an option where you can actually cook it inside on an electric griddle or uh, on a grill pan or a couple of them in the oven. But overall, they can be made with still with getting the grill marks and the great grill flavors. Mm. You, you, talk, you actually write a bit in the beginning about the importance for some people of the grill marks, of those beautiful hatches. Yes. So this is, not, this is not just about, like, close your eyes and taste this. There's, there's a whole aesthetic about grilling that you you really honored in uh, in putting this together. What what is the what does the grilling aesthetic mean to you, and what has it meant to other people that you know who are who are kind of grill aficionados? Well, I think the bottom line is that we we eat with our eyes first. But if you're able to get those grill marks, not only does it look more appetizing, but you get another layer of flavor because you get a slightly different texture, a slightly different uh, a taste profile in the food if you get the grill marks actually happening. It's just one more layer of flavor, and I'm all about layers of flavor. Mm. So, and I, and I guess these days, you know, with with Instagram and and blogs, the visuals of your food, as as you know, as, as a marketer of recipes, are really important because people will look at them long before they taste them. Absolutely, absolutely. And there was a a blogger who I can't remember who it was. I wish I could credit her or him. I'm not sure who it was with the idea that if a recipe photographs well and looks great, people are far more to make it, even if it tastes mezza mezza. But if the recipe doesn't look good, they'll never make it, so you'll never know. Yeah, so I, I attended a, uh, 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 an it. iPhone photography food class with, uh, with Issa uh, Chandra Moskowitz. And mm-hmm. one, one of her lines was, you know, there's, there's lots of wonderful, like, Indian stews and curries and things, which is, you know, they basically are indistinguishable from, like, you know, bodily secretions. And it it's doesn't matter true, how good they are. True. They do not belong <laughs> visually right. in the cookbook. Right. Um, so... Uh, have you um, been grilling for like this? This is this is one of those areas where you can kind of make a be- a, a plant based beachhead into a very uh, meat dominated world. Have you have you been making your your recipes and introducing plant based grilling to you know professional meat eaters uh, and and seeing any <laughs> uh, you know any attra- yeah. attraction and any change? What's that been like? Yes. Where we live, we've, we've since developed a core group of vegan friends, but initially we just, you know, lived in the land of meat and potatoes. So we'd have people over a lot, especially when I was doing the recipes for the book, because as a cookbook writer, you tend to make more than you can possibly eat because you just keep going with it, and one thing's not enough. You've got to make a second dish and see how that works. It's kind of an addiction. And we'd have people over and give them, you know, a whole array of foods and read their faces more than their words and see what they really thought. And so have you have you heard comments from people who said, Wow, you know, wow, this opens my eyes? I have a couple friends who are trying to go vegan. They're not there yet, but they're working on it, which I applaud them tremendously, you know, baby steps to me. Everything's baby steps. So if they're willing to give it a go even a few times a week. Actually my, my doctor went vegan 
which was a thrill for me, an absolute thrill. I can't take the credit, but I think I was one of her only vegan patients at the time, well, and my husband. But she went vegan after going on a, a cruise, one of the health cruises. That I can't remember who does them, but, you know, those health cruises. Oh, where the, uh, ta- a taste of health? Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's it. And she came home, and she'd been thinking about it, and her husband was concerned about all the recalls on meat that were happening at the time. And she said, tell me more about this. And she was just off and running. And now she's doing inspirational speaking and that kind of thing. I gave her at the time, I wrote up tofu tempeh and satan primers, gave her a grocery list of what to hit up at the good Whole Foods, that kind of thing. And she's just a wonder. Wow, that must and she's in such a position to influence other people's lives, you know, as a, as a doctor and a role model, that I just think it's tremendous. Yeah, I was just, I was talking earlier this week with, uh, with Mary Clifton of uh, Get Wasted, who's a, uh, who's a doctor with a, who had a, a fairly large practice. And uh, in her 30s, she was diagnosed with prediabetes and high blood pressure and went plant-based. And, try, you know, it took her a while to develop the courage to tell her patients, but she realized, like, oh. no one had ever really gotten better, <laughs> you know, with all her, all her years of, of prescribing and, and uh, right. getting, sending people to specialists for surgery. No one ever got better. They just sort of stabilized or managed, and she was the first person she knew who got better. I can't imagine the impact that would have on someone in that field to make that realization, you know, to to understand their that and then apply it to themselves and their patients. Yeah, you know, it's it's like all of a sudden being effective after years of not. Right, right. Uh, uh, so let's let's talk about some of the uh, the recipes. Um, and I'll, I'll preface that by saying, so when I uh, first became vegetarian, um, which I've done several times in my life, I've had a long, you know, series of, of, of ups and downs and lurches. Uh, but the one thing that, that that was always a problem was cookouts. <laughs> right. So we'd go to some friend's house and they would have the salads, which would mm-hmm. all be like, you know, mayonnaise laden. Right. Egg salad, uh, macaroni salad, shrimp the salad. The American fair. You know, the only thing I could eat was like the iceberg lettuce and, and, and um, you know, hothouse uh, Texas tomatoes and, right, and, right. On, and onions, that platter, which I was like, you know, on slather. But then, you know, then everybody else was, you know, it was the meat. It was the grilled chicken. It was the, the cutlets. And... And the only thing we could do was Boca burgers because they were the only meat substitute that wouldn't fall through when right. they got when they got heated. And it was, you know, it was, it was frankly, it really felt like deprivation. Like here I am, sure. not having fun at this right. at this party, um, and watching everyone else have fun and make their connection over food and the animal they're eating. <laughs> that was yeah. cool. Yeah. So when I, that's, about the mental. that's how I opened this book with this in mind. And um, so, as you know, there's what, tell me what's your, what's your favorite recipe in here that would counter that feeling like a plant based person who 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 remembers burgers and misses them. There are a couple of burger recipes in the book. And I have a hang-up about textures of burgers. So I do like a firm burger. I like to be able to get a real bite out of it. So I design them so they would not fall through. 
of that kind of thing because I don't like a crumbly burger. I like to be able to bite my burger, kind of like a portobello mushroom. You know, you like to be able to bite it. Right. I remember but, I once got this, like, you know, it was like $8 for a box of three of them, some sort of, you know, gourmet sunflower seed lentil burger and watching it get completely devoured <laughs> by the flames. Like, oh, that was, you know, $2.60 $2. right Might there. as well have burnt your money on the grill. Yeah. I'll just go I in the, I'll just put it in the microwave. I'll be back out in 10 minutes. <laughs> so, so what, give me an example of one of, one of those burgers that holds together. Well, you know, honestly, I'd probably steer clear of the burgers if you're dining with meat eaters because I think you're going to wow them more with dishes that aren't burgers because they've got a, a preconception right, that fair, a burger fair, has to be meat. Fair enough. I'd go, for, I'd go for something like the porcini on sausage paella or a tempeh chickpea stew or the Tunisian skewers with couscous, something like that. Okay, so here I have the porcini and sausage paella. Right. Uh, so so that, the, that calls for a, a vegan sausage, so a, a, a prepared product. But what you're doing with it is you're treating it very well. So, uh, And you can always make your own sausage as well as compared to a prepared product. Mm-hmm. It's not quite the same, but you can do a bean, and I know you don't do gluten, but a bean and gluten-based sausage as well to take away the prepared, you know, the store-bought prep. And it also has tofu and rice, and it gets a great crusty bottom. It's made in a cast iron skillet on the grill. Oh. It just is really, really delicious. Okay, so so some of the ingredients here are porcini mushroom, saffron, um, jalapeno, garlic, cumin, coriander, paprika. So this mm-hmm. is uh, this is, like, very flavorful. It is, it is. I tend to like big flavors, and I think that that works best for meat eaters as well because I think that for them that compensates for the lack of fat and animal. You know, I think that the big flavors tend to overpower, not overpower, but take over their palate more so they don't miss. Mm-hmm. And this, this I'm picturing as something that you serve in a beautiful platter in the middle of the plate or, or the, you know, a centerpiece on the buffet table, and everyone notices it and goes, wow. Absolutely. And I just serve it right in the cast iron skillet, and it's, it's stunning. It really is. And the way you arrange the tofu around the top in a circle, it's a very pretty dish. Mm. Another dish that isn't as pretty but sure tastes good is the tempeh and chickpea stew with harissa biscuits. And that's just great. And the harissa is only in the biscuits, and of course, if you don't like that, you can leave it out. But we tend to like harissa is a a Moroccan spicy paste, right? Right, right. And we tend to like our spices, so we really like that. It's packed full of vegetables and chickpeas, and then of course the tempeh. Well, when you're grilling, do you do you think about having to amp up the spices just to to compete or something, or to to balance out? You know, I don't. I've never had a problem with it, but I tend to, like I said, go for big flavors, so I start with big flavors. So that might be applicable to others, though. Hmm. Okay. All right, so this is a, it's a, there's the stew, and then there's these just ba- basic biscuits with, with flour, with, in this case, flour and soy milk and, and, and olive right. oil and baking powder, and then you um, you, you mix the, the harissa paste right into... The, the biscuit the biscuits themselves. Right. I'll tell you, one of the recipes that really wowed the testers was the their noodles. 
that are actually, it's, it's an indoor only, well, I think you can't do it outside, but it's probably better indoors in all honesty. It's a noodle dish, I'm trying to find it in my book, that is made. You can oh, I, saw, I, I saw that, yeah, grilled noodles. Yeah. It looked, it, those delicious. words were kind of weird for a second, but then I could just sort of picture the, the crunchiness of the. Right, and you the... get away with a lot less oil doing it on the inside grill than you could doing it in, in a wok or something like that. And you can use different kinds of noodles. They don't have to be, you can use gluten-free noodles, soba noodles, just being careful that you don't overcook them because then obviously they can turn mushy. But you've got to make sure they're more al dente. But it works with any kind of noodle. And you really get a great crunch, a great texture. They're terrific. They were a big hit with the testers. Hmm. So let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about the... Um... The the early stuff in the book, which is things that I would never think to put on the grill, like guacamole. Oh, you know, it's really great, though. Once you put that avocado against the grill, it gives it a different smoky flavor. It just adds, it enhances it. It's terrific. So you've got the fresh, but you also have a little bit of an earthiness, you know, from the smoke. It's terrific. Yes, I mean, this gives me a whole new appreciation for like the grill as a medium of preparing food cuz really I you know I as a as as someone who doesn't typically eat meat um you know I just felt like you know grilling is just bad for you cuz there's you know all these uh chemicals that are produced when you uh when you grill animal flesh um and it just it just it, I just had it in my mind that grilling is just it's a bad way to make food um, from what I understand and I'm not an expert is that you're exactly right, though, that it is because of the, the animal-based proteins that give it a bad name. It isn't the plant, plant-based plant at all. Those are healthy and fine on the grill, from what I understand, but I'm not an expert. Right. That's, that, in fact, that's, that's what I've heard from people who, who should know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there's, there's also other things that I would never have expected to find in a grilling book, like um, Asian asparagus and Chinese cabbage. They grill really well, though. Asparagus is one of the first things I ever grilled years ago, and it just it makes it tender, but it, you could just you can keep it crisp. It's fantastic. Mm. And uh, the Cajun mushrooms; those are a big hit. I recently made those for some friends that came over who were not vegan. We had a bunch of friends over for a game night, and we were the only vegans. And I like to have people over here because then I can do the food, and you know, as a vegan, I like to do that, and. Oh, the one of the girls that came over is getting married, and she said, could you make those in, in a huge bat? Could you make those tons of those and tons of those, and how much would it cost me for her wedding? Which I, was a real compliment that you'd want to have those for her reception after her wedding. Hmm. They, lo- they, look, they look fantastic. Thyme, paprika, garlic, shallot, cumin, salt, pepper, cider vinegar, and hot sauce. And what, So what is grilling this particular recipe uh, do for it as opposed to just taking those ingredients and putting it on a pan on the stove? You can put it on a pan on the stove, and that's the alternate direction, actually, for the indoor method. But I really think that cooking outdoors brings something different to food. I think that it's not only the, the grill, but it's also being out in the environment. It's a shared experience with friends. It's easy to incorporate other people say, hey, you handle this for a minute. I've got to go do something else. But in a particular recipe such as this, it also enhances the flavor because it just lets the flavors, it, it just brings them out more. It makes them pop more. 
I, I can't tell you why. I can't tell you the science behind it, but I really firmly believe it, that it brings more to the any dish to be cooked outside rather than in the oven. Mm. Yeah, you know, when you mention that, it, it, it triggers in me. I may be going a little bit of a woo-woo direction, but that we're so separated from nature and from our food, and even if we're eating plant-based, if we're right. popping things in microwaves and we're exactly. getting – that there's there's something very elemental – about fire, about being Absolutely. outside? I think it's in our wiring, you know, for, from centuries and centuries of eating that way. And I think that it's a communal thing, and I we're drawn to fire. It's just who we are, I think, as people. And like you, I might be going a little woo-woo, but I think it's true. Uh, for years, I, I, it was the only way people could eat, you know, if they wanted something cooked. Yeah, well, you know, every every so often we have a power outage in our in our neighborhood, and I always look forward to those because it means I have to cancel all my calls. I have to turn <laughs> off the computer, <laughs> and we can, you know we get out the candles and some flashlights, and it's exciting. It, you know, it obviously, is. obviously, if it lasts for a week, it gets old. Right. But, but but you know, we have we have like the Coleman stove, and we have a uh, some um, propane grills, and everyone. Right. You know, in the, in the, we, I live in a uh, community where people, you know, were were sort of intentional, and we have a beautiful grill in the, com- the in back of the common building, and so everyone will come out, and it will, you know, have an impromptu party. Yeah, it it really ch- it changes. The, the, the energy of, of, of community to be right. preparing food together. I, I totally agree with you. And that's one of the things that's so great about grilling is it's, it's a natural thing to pass the tongs off to somebody else. And everybody likes to take part. It's just like, you know, if you're cooking with kids, you get the kids involved and then they're more likely to enjoy the result. It's the same thing with adults. <laughs> you know, if everybody gets their hand in it, they're more likely to really like it. Yep, that's, I mean, whenever we have a fire, you know, it draws, it draws the kids mm-hmm. like moths. To, right. To the flame. Um, so I have to, I have to, I haven't, I haven't actually checked this out, but do you have any, uh, you know, dessert things? Cause the kids in the community, when they see the fire, they immediately start th- looking for sticks and marshmallows and wondering who's got the graham crackers and chocolate. Do you Ab- have, absolutely. Do you have, there's, there's some desserts that are, uh, dips that you can make. There's also an apricot sauce. That is fantastic over ice cream. The I, I tend to like fruit desserts more than any other desserts, so I kind of went more in that direction. But there's a fantastic mango blueberry cobbler in grilled nectarines with granola, which are just terrific. You can have those with ice cream or without. Mm. So what is what does grilling do to fruit? That, that it you intensifies like? the, it intensifies the flavor, and especially with citrus. For example, if you want to make lemonade or something, if you would grill your lemons first, they'll give a little different nuance of flavor, but you'll get tons more juice out of the citrus. Oh, my gosh. Like, I'm, I'm immediately picturing like like a, a shishi lemonade stand charging like $7 a glass yeah, for, right, for smoked, right. smoked lemonade. Right. And we actually made, made margaritas that way in the book, and they're terrific. Kids really like the almost instant apple pies with dark caramel sauce which is one of the indoor recipes. But kids love them, and you make them with an electric griddle again. And it's tortillas with apples and seasonings inside, then served with a really quick caramel sauce. And kids love that. Plus, you can eat with your hands. You can dip them. You oh, know, this, is, this is looking good. Uh, so I just opened uh, to, to maple-glazed grapefruit. 
Mm-hmm. I have to say, two grapefruits, one tablespoon of maple syrup, and a half a teaspoon of vanilla extract. That's and, it. Oh, my gosh. And they're delicious. And I grew up, my mom would make grapefruit. She would sprinkle brown sugar on and broil them in the oven for a treat. So I just adapted her recipe, made it a little bit more modern, and went with it. And the maple and the grapefruit don't sound like a natural combination, but they really work. But I could see, I could see the fire sort of alchem- alchemically introducing flavors to each other. <laughs> you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's like it just, it just, it, it just feels more intuitively okay to have opposites together under fire as, a, as opposed to just you know, sticking them in the oven. I agree. Absolutely. This is weird. This is really, this is really taking me in directions I hadn't been thinking about where, you know, the, 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 the primal nature of, of fire and also its, its transformative power. I, I still agree with you. I mean, the phoenix and all that, you know. I mean, there really is. There's a draw to fire for a reason. Maybe this will be one of your lurches. <laughs> yeah, well, the, you know, the other thing is I love when you, do it, when you do it well how environmentally friendly grilling can be. A- absolutely. Com- you know, especially with a, with a, uh, with a gas grill. And I, I'm not ta- I don't know all about, you know, the externalities and the, the other inv- opportunity costs of putting all that gas into a propane tank. But just from my end, turn it on, it's on, turn it off, it's off. I can be right. in and out of, of a grilling session in three or four minutes, and I don't need exactly. to have air conditioning in my kitchen. Exactly. And it also holds some residual heat, so you can leave some of the food on the grill if you want to, you know, that kind of thing. Because it does, it ho- they generally hold their heat, too. Hmm. Ah, so uh, is there one recipe that I haven't mentioned that you are proud of and you'd love to, to talk about a little bit? Well, one of my favorites is the skillet grilled cherry crisp because I'm a huge fan of sour cherries, which they're so seasonal, but you can also use frozen. And I think what makes that recipe so special is that it actually has uh, panko in it, which was one of the first times I tried to use panko in a crisp or anything like that. And I think it really made it stand out. I thought uh, it was what, just... what is panko? Panko is a breadcrumb. It's a mm. Japanese breadcrumb. Okay. And it gives a crunch. It gives a real crispness to it. Uh, another favorite is the tempeh and panzanella salad. I'm picking everything with gluten for you, though. I'm sorry about that. That's all right. I'm sure. Everything has some gluten. I'm in sure it. I can figure out uh, some, some alternate flour. And I'm sure they're gluten-free breads. So you guys go that route. And, of course, I like the sandwiches because I'm a big sandwich person. Right. You, you're mentioning that you'd, ri- you'd written an entire book on sandwiches. Right. 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 And what's that called in case people are Vegan interested? Sandwiches Save the Day with Celine Steen. Vegan Sandwiches Save the Day. And if people go online and just search for Girls Gone Vegan recipes, they will find several online from the blog tour. Okay, great. Maybe with your with your permission, I can grab some of those and, and put it on Absolutely. the website with this with this interview, so people can start getting a taste. Terrific! That would be wonderful. Awesome. Well, uh, what, what are you working on next? We are just wrapping up Vegan Finger Foods. That's going to come out next year. That's ah. also with Celine Steen, and I, I love writing with her. She's a fabulous food photographer. She comes at cooking from a different angle than I do, so we incorporate different ingredients. I think it makes a, a really complete book. Oh, what's what's an example of a vegan finger food? Uh, the most recent one I made and served to people that got big 
raves, and I posted the recipe to my blog, veganappetite.com, were antipasta stuffed tofu shells, and people loved them. Hmm. All right, so veganappetite.com is where people can go and uh, keep up with you and find out what you're working on and, and taste your latest creations. Yes. Do you, uh, do you use the web to have uh, people give you feedback on recipes before they go into books? Absolutely. We've got a team of testers. They vary depending on the book, but we've got certain people that always want to do it. And we love our testers. Testers are what make the book as wonderful as they are. I'm convinced of that because they actually will give you their time, their energy, their feedback. They'll devote their kitchen time to you, their grocery budget. They give you a real read on a recipe, and honest feedback is priceless. It really is. Hmm, that sounds like it would be a fun hobby for people, to become a tester for one or two of their favorite cooks. It's how I got into, into uh, well, that's how I eventually became a cookbook writer, was through testing for Robin Robertson and others. It's a fun, fun, fun thing to do, and certain people, and I was one of them, get obsessed. And you want to test every recipe in a book, which I think is a real benefit to the author because then they, you can give them the kind of feedback that, well, I like this recipe, but this version of it's better than that one, that kind of thing. Right. Or, or you mention add water in the instructions, but you don't have tell people how much in the ingredients. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And we, Those... do all that, we do all that online with an online form, a private online form that our testers can access. Ah, so if someone wants to become a tester for you, how would they do that? We don't have a lot of testers. We keep a core group, like I said, but we always add a few more each time around. And they would just have to email, and we'll, we'll see if we've got a slot, and they could be slotted in if we did. Okay, and I guess otherwise people can just uh, play fantasy testing and just do it themselves and write comments on your blog. And check out the recipes that get posted by the testers and the photos. They post a lot of photos. The testers tend to do that. And there is a – oh, I'm trying a blank. What is the Flickr. Flickr has streams for all the different books as well, where you can really see pictures of almost every recipe. Oh, wow. So uh, I guess the, the Internet has, has really improved quality control for cookbooks. I, you know, I really think so. If, if you take advantage of it. Right. Right. It's another tool that we can use to put out a better book. Awesome. Well, is there anything that you wish I had asked that I didn't? No, not that I can think of. All right. Well, if, and, and last, uh, if, if someone's listening to this and they want to get started and maybe they're a little bit scared of, of, of grilling something new, let's, let's assume that they know how to grill and they have access to a grill, either indoor mm -hmm. or outdoor, but they've only done, you know, burgers and, and chicken and corn on the cob. What's the easiest recipe in your book that they might try first? Well, the all-out easiest recipe are the grapefruit, the maple-glazed grapefruit that you pointed out before. That's the easiest recipe by a long shot. If people are comfortable making a dough, a, a flatbread is always a hit. It's always a winner. It's hard to mess those up. You almost always end up with a great result. Hmm. There's a tomato arugula flatbread. And that's an easy recipe. And also the grilled guacamole is really easy that we talked about. All right. So, so those are things you can just start doing 
right away. The grapefruit just if you can cut it in half, you can Exactly. You can grow <laughs> it doesn't get much easier. It was almost embarrassing to even include it as a recipe, but it tasted so wonderful that I, that I wanted to. Awesome. Well, Tammy, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today and for for taking the time and care and and love and attention to to write these books and and add add to the world of of plant-based delights. Thank you very much, Howard. I I appreciate having me on your show. All right. Well, take care. I look forward to talking with you again soon. Sounds great, Howard. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.